0: we mm-hmm. Celebration Rock Podcast presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis and uprock.com. I'm your host Stephen Hayden. My guest today is Sean Everett and if you don't know his name, you will definitely recognize the albums that he has been involved with as a mixer, as an engineer, as a producer. He won the Grammy in 2016 for his work on Sound and Color, the Alabama Shakes record my choice for the best sounding rock record of the 2010s. Ever since then, he's been all over the place. He's worked on records by John Legend, Perfume Genius, Grizzly Bear. He was the engineer and mixer of A Deeper Understanding by The War on Drugs. He mixed The Last Killers record. He mixed The Last Kesha record. He produced, engineered, and mixed the Mike Gordon record. He's worked with Julian Casablancas. He was Involved in the latest Casey Musgrave's record, Golden Hour, which was on my list of my favorite records of the year so far, uh, I was very interested to talk to Sean just about the art of making records. You know, as a person who writes about music for a living, occasionally I'll talk about the production of an album, how an album sounds. You know, we talk about records being overproduced sometimes, and I have to admit sometimes I wonder, do I really know what I'm talking about here? (laughs) Do any of us as music fans really know what we're we're talking about when we talk about record production? So I want to talk to Sean about that. What exactly does a person in his position bring to a record when the Killers hire him or when Alibaba Shakes hire him or Kesha or Casey Musgraves? What are they looking for from a guy like Sean Everett. How much of it is him, and how much of it is the artist? And uh, Sean was a great interview. You know, sometimes you talk to these people who are involved in the minutiae of recording artists, and uh, you can't really understand what they're talking about. You know, they're so deep in the weeds, it's so much jargon, that uh, you can't really figure it out. But, but Sean had a really great way to talk about this in a way that really makes it sound like a form of art. You know, not just someone who's pulling off purely technical responsibilities for a record, but 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 a person who really approaches the recording of sound the way that you would expect an artist to, looking at it with the whole picture, but also at the same time caring about what kind of mics are being used to record a vocal. It was a really interesting conversation with Sean, and he's also a fan of the podcast, which is great too, you know, because we like compliments here at Celebration Rock. That's actually how he ended up on the show. He emailed me just to say, "Hey, I really like the show. I just wanted to say hello." And I knew who he was because I saw his name in the liner notes of so many records that I love, and it was very flattering to hear from Sean, and I thought, "Come on the podcast and and talk about what you do." So, I'm very glad that happened. I'm very glad that people send nice emails sometimes because you know? <laughs> sometimes you don't really hear nice things from people, you know, no matter what you do, whether it's on social media or, you know, just out on the streets, it seems like we get a lot of negative feedback. Sometimes it's nice to tell someone that you, that you dig, if you dig what they do to tell them that. Um, and I have to say that I've, I've, I've felt pretty lucky in this regard lately because um, I've been getting a lot of nice emails about my book Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the End of Classic Rock. And Derek, that's what I call a segue into uh, self-promotion. Very good. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Yeah, my book, it came out in May, and it's done really well. It's gotten a good response from people. The the feedback I've gotten uh, has been really great. A lot of people tell me that they feel like they could have written the book themselves. (laughs) And I think what they mean is that the experiences that I write about in the book about being a member of Generation X who got into these bands of the 60s and 70s, you know, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, the Beatles, the Stones, Dylan, Neil Young, all those people. Getting into those artists through Classic Rock Radio, my experiences that I write about in the book with that, it seems like that's a fairly, you know, common experience. A lot of people read the book and they they feel like I'm describing something that happened to them. Of course, they may also be saying that the book is so poorly written that anyone could have written it that might be what they're saying, but I'm not, I'm going to look at it from the positive perspective. I think that's the better way for me to go. So anyway, thank you to everyone who's read the book so far. If you haven't read the book yet, it is still available at a fine bookseller near you. Or if you don't have any booksellers near you, you can go to any online retailer and buy the book. Again, it's called Twilight of the Gods, A Journey to the End of Classic Rock. And if you read the book, I would love to hear from you and let me know what you think. So That is my plug for myself. Well done. Thank you very much. (laughs) Now, let's get to the interview. This is me and Sean Everett, genius, engineer, mixer, record producer, talking about all of those things on the Celebration Rock podcast. So, Sean, uh, I'm excited to talk to you. We have not actually spoken. We've... uh, exchanged emails, and uh, you told me that you liked the podcast, which was very flattering. And, oh, and uh, and you know, I instantly knew your name, because you your name keeps popping up in albums that I love. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to talk to you about your career, and also just about the mysteries of record production. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like this is something that fans talk about all the time. We talk about how records are produced and I always wonder like, if we are actually talking about the right thing or if things get projected onto albums that we attribute to engineers and producers and if, if people really know what they're talking about. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Like when you hear people talk about production, like, do you feel like people actually know? You know like, like when they say, like, oh, this record sounds good. Right. Are they talking about the right things? Or are we just sort of projecting on, onto, the, onto records in that way?
1: Um, I'm I mean it's 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 hard to kind of um know really. I mean like um sometimes like y- like it's 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 it is a lot about a production and recording and um uh, I mean how it's how it's made. But it's also kind of I mean also the player. I mean sometimes like you'll have like a um oh <laughs> sorry, got it. I had this door closed and all of a sudden chaos. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of record production that is about recording and, and technique and stuff like that, but um, I mean, a lot of it at the end of the day comes down to the player. Um, like uh, you just um, like years ago, I remember um, I was going to work with Weezer, and and I remember having like grown up and hearing that their guitar sound was like the, that, like like that chunk, 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 that thing. And um, I was kind of stressed out about how to do that guitar sound the first day because I was like, "Oh my god, I don't, I don't even know exactly what that is and how to do that." And, and, you know, and I was kind of had all this anxiety about it. And then um, it turned out that whatever I didn't really have any kind of setup at all to set up a guitar. It was just like a um, random amp and a random guitar, and it and I just kind of um, handed it to him, and I was like, uh, "Here," and then I just. Randomly put up a mic, and then instantaneously he started playing it. Just like the the sound came through, and it was like, "Oh, it's just him." <laughs> like I didn't have to do anything. What, um,
0: what do you feel that you do provide? Because like I, I was talking about this this morning, I was listening to "Sound and Color," the Alabama mm-hmm. Shakes record, and I've said this numerous times. I think that is the best sounding, certainly rock record of the decade. I just, love oh, I, I mean, and that is. And, and they're a great band, obviously, and and that has a lot to do with them. Uh, but j- just the way that record sounds, the the depth of it, uh, I just think is great. It's a, it's a compulsively listenable record. I've listened to that record so many times that I never tire of it.
1: Oh, how thanks. much do um, you
0: feel like you bring yeah. to the table in that regard, and how much of that is just kind of capturing the band?
1: Um, well, it was a lot of capturing the band. Um, I mean, the good... Percentage of it was was recorded just live in the room of, of everyone playing together, um, but um, there was like a lot of work done to like kind of um, make it feel like a little more interesting than than a, like a you know a casual recording of a band in a room. Um, uh, I did that record with um, my friend Blake Mills, and yes. um, he's a real genius of tone. Um, and so like, uh, you know, he, he really does a an insanely cool job of, of just like the way he works the the room and like, make sure like everyone's playing the right instrument and the right amp and the right, you know, and on top of that, like everything was recorded to like, um, everything, uh, there was a lot of like detail work done in just, in just like whatever was playing and like how it was being recorded. Um, so like the drums, for instance, were played very like lightly, um, uh, which I think was a, was a like a, a like it was a little different than um, Steve the drummer had had normally played. Um, you know, he he was playing live mostly, so like I think like he was like he was kind of shocked at how quietly we were asking him to play. Um, but because of that, you could get like a lot of tone out of the drums, and then. Uh, um we were also trying to combine like the kind of classic sounds of like uh kind of these old recordings that you know people really gravitate towards and like kind of almost like a hip hop low end and stuff like that like things that happen in modern records, like a lot of that record um a ton of that record I was actually a being between like like James Blake records because um, I wanted to kind of have the richness in the low end and stuff like that, so we were doing a lot of things like. You know, we'd put multiple kick drums in front of the kick drum so you'd get a lot of like resonance and low end out of it. And it just feels like weightier and more modern than, than like an average band recording. Um, uh, and so like when I was like mixing or just even rough mixing, I was, um, I'd always have like a, uh, like a record that was com- totally incongruous to like that kind of music, like a big modern record and like trying to keep the like the tones of, of, of the old record, but like just, like the like the frequency rainbow of of how it all sat like make it feel like as big as as like a you know a, a hip hop record or something like that but with the, but without without doing the the nor, the the um the kind of the tricks that people do where they just add a sample to the kick drum or something like that so it just sounds kind of you know like oh it's it's modern now but then it, it kind of a lot of times like can I mean, if I've done not properly can set can kind of start sounding kind of cheesy and like it's, it's losing, it's losing like touch with, with the old kind of feeling that some of those old records have. So there's was like a lot of stuff like that and like d- detail work. And, and a lot of it was just like kind of recorded weird. Like, um, like I, it wasn't using like great mics on, on Britney and which is a kind of weird thing to do. Cause you know, she has such a powerful, uh, amazing, like, uh, voice like one of the best voices in the world and you'd be like okay well i gotta get um you know the best microphone for her um but she also was kind of on on the same page that she you know she wanted to try like you know weird experiments and stuff like that and it was kind of freeing for her i think she could perform in a different way because she didn't feel like constrained to some kind of like really um conservative like microphone setup that like everyone has yeah um so she was um you know singing to these weird old junky mics and stuff like that. And so you'd end up like with a strange initial tone and it took a lot of like kind of digging to like make it make that tone sit properly inside of the mix because you have to do a little more work if you're not using like a classic microphone. But it ends up sounding sometimes when you have like the weirdest sounding source material, if you um kind of like play with that dough long enough, like you end up having like something kind of a little bit more Especially, I think, in the long run, because it, do- it doesn't sound like every other album.
0: You know what you were just describing, where it almost sounds like a hybrid of like classic recording techniques and you know, mm-hmm. modern techniques. So it's not fully like a retro thing. You're not trying to make it sound old. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm just thinking about like like a deeper understanding. You know, the Casey Musgraves record, uh, Golden Hour. Uh, a lot of the records you 've worked on, they have a warmth to them that reminds me of like listening to albums from the seventies but like they 're not it 's not like a slavish recreation of a record from that time like it feels like a modern record right would you say is that a pretty accurate thing of like what you 're going for a lot of times when you 're trying to capture something
1: yeah it 's kind of like a like a it 's kind of like a fun kind of hybrid in my mind of like trying to do like a you know you could get like these, it's, it, it, I, I always kind of like, think about it. Like I was, I heard that, that new Pusha T album recently. Um, and like, I think Kanye had produced it. And, and it, it's all these like old um, samples of these old recordings that have these tones that like, uh, that you just immediately gravitate towards and they kind of feel nostalgic. And I mean, but obviously he like recontextualized those, those kind of old sounds into like a modern format where it sounds like this, huge like kind of hip hop record and you're like um like how did how did that how did he do that and i mean like it's just by like taking these um kind of classic tones these these familiar feelings and then just kind of like twisting it a little bit and like putting a little like little lemon sparkle on top so it feels like heftier and weightier and, and more you know more in line with with what you know is currently happening <laughs> um and yeah, I mean, I, I I love that kind of weird contamination. <laughs> I think it's uh, I, fun.
0: I mean, like the, you know, like when we're talking about these decisions that you're making, these very technical decisions that result in. Uh Almost going for almost like a conceptual feel with the record, like we're going to use this kind of microphone because we know it's going to produce this sort of sound that is going for the effect that we go for. I mean, is that something that you're discussing in depth with the artists that you're working with? Or are they hiring you knowing that you're going to do this sort of thing? And it's like, well, we trust Sean to get the sound we want.
1: I think there's almost it's almost never that I'm discussing that with you. I mean, with what microphone and stuff like I'm going to use with an artist, I never would normally talk about it. I mean, there's certain people. I mean, first of all, like most musicians are, you know, just want to you know make the music. They don't want to like get into some nerdy technical talk. <laughs> right. Um, and and I don't really like to get into that either. I mean, I, I mean, my. Um, I'm not like a gearhead, really, like a crazy you know like guy that collects gear like a maniac or anything like that like um I really just love like the record making process. I think that's like the most fun thing and the most exciting thing, and I think that generally most musicians do as well, and the technical stuff it's almost like um I think like a lot of people maybe like get like freaked out by it and like scared away by by what it looks like like. You know like a like an uncle or something of mine would walk into the studio and be like, "Oh my God, like what are all those buttons? you know like a classic like thing when people walk into the studio like, what are all the buttons do you know but um I mean, it doesn't take that long to learn what all the buttons do and then from that point, it's just like it's not I don't find it a weirdly a technical job at all I mean, I'm rarely thinking technically in my mind, I'm pretty much thinking creatively all day that's. I mean, and that's—I wouldn't really have it any other way. I—I I don't really like, I don't love the technical aspect of anything. I mean, I—I I feel like I—I I, I learned it when I was when I was young, and then from this, from ever since then, I've just been like, you know, I mean, I love just making records. I think that's the most fun thing to do.
0: And when, uh, like, when did that start for you? That that love? Because I—I know you're from Canada originally, and that you ended up in Los Angeles, like in the mid 2000s or so. Uh, like were you, when you were a kid, were you like the one kind of pouring over liner notes, figuring out who did what? I mean, when did that, uh, obsession begin for you?
1: I mean, pretty much, pretty much right away. I mean, I remember I had like a, a Nirvana record and, um, and there was, a, I, I looked at the back cover and it said, mixed by Andy Wallace. And there was a guy in my grade named Andy Wallace. And I was like, what is mixed? <laughs> so I, I immediately remembered the name because this guy was in my class also named Andy Wallace. Um, and uh, so I think I was immediately uh, aware of, of, of mixing. Um, and um, I just, I, when, when I had like a band and then we went we went into this like, this guy had this small recording studio at his house. And um, I went there and... Um, just kind of by watching him, I I, I thought it was uh, so kind of interesting what he was doing. And, and I, cause I, I just realized that like the, the creative possibilities that you could do in a recording just kind of opened up kind of music for me in a way. It was just like, you could edit, you could like, um, you know, you could, could completely manipulate a tone or you could add a bunch of stuff that like wasn't in the the normal context of your band and like, you know, I was playing in like, I was, you know, really young and we were playing in kind of like a quasi like metal band. And I just didn't really want to be doing that. And, and like, and I, you know, I, I was hearing, you know, a, like a, like a Bjork record or something like that. I was like, how is she doing this? I mean, now there's like, you know, kids with laptops and stuff like that. And I think they maybe have have more a familiar sense of like how people are doing stuff like that, but just like all this like crazy I mean, the manipulation of sound and just like this, like freedom. I didn't know how to do it. And so like, it became frustrating with me, like playing in the context of a band and being like, I just want to like learn how like, everything is done. Like, you know, you'd hear any rec, any, re- literally any record, and just be like, how do they do that? What, how, what is going on? And so I just, um, asked my, my dad for Christmas for some kind of like recording anything. And back then they had these like Roland, um, like, multi-track, like, like, kind of systems. Like, it, it, there, it wasn't even, like, a, it, it, like, now you can get, like, a computer-based system to record, you know, like, but, like, back then it was, like, this, like, um, you know, like a standalone unit, and he bought me one of those, and immediately, I think, I feel like my, my life kind of changed. I mean, I was always, like, kind of, like, nerding out in my room making stuff. Like, when when I was a kid, like, I'd be drawing or, like, making a little movie or something like that, and somehow it's just, like, harnessed, you know, that part of myself into, like, one zone. And then I I just started experimenting. I had another friend, this guy named John Gant, and we just, like, um, loved experimenting. And I think for, like, several years at the end of high school, we just, like, tried, you know, everything you could think of. Um, Like, you could, you know, like, what if we record this mic underwater, you know, (laughs) put the mic in a bag and just, like, try, like, every single possible way of doing something, you know? And it was just, like, really... So, like um experimental and fun and creative, and I was just like, "Oh my God, like, this is what I want to be doing um, and, and I feel like that 's pretty much what i 've been doing ever since then
0: <laughs> you, you, you touched on this a little bit earlier when you are talking about mixing, and yeah, you, you mm-hmm. noticed andy wallace 's name in the liner notes of I think that was probably mm-hmm. nevermind, and Andy Wallace, of course, his name has appeared on hundreds of records, probably, and if, if you don 't know the name Andy Wallace, just look in your if you still have a music collection anyway you should look in the liner notes you'll see his name in there just like for the layperson here can you give me a sense of like what exactly does a good mix do on a record like a like someone who's a great mixer who works on a record what can that person do versus someone who's maybe a bad mixer or mediocre not very good or what 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 I guess how does that process elevate a record well i mean it's I mean
1: it's funny how like different people um listen to records like I mean some people listen to a record and they just hear um you know the the lyrics I mean uh, most people do they they you know that's the first thing they gravitate gravitate towards because it's like the human voice and um, they're saying something to you um weirdly I'm I mean I've become so accustomed to listening to the mix that I I sometimes realize I've listened to a song 150 times that I've never listened to the lyrics before <laughs> um, um but it's just like, um, the, you can, it, there's a, it's such a wormhole, um, all aspects of music. I mean, you could be listening to guitar, if you're a guitar player, you can listen to the guitar part, and, and you can really just like, go into like an infinite wormhole of like, the minutiae of the guitar part, or like how it's played, or, or that tone, or stuff like that. And it's just like, I feel like there's so many ways into um, a recording or a song that like you could you could spend your life just kind of analyzing one aspect of one way of listening to it, a song, and I feel like a lot of times now I've just been listening to like the way things are mixed or produced or something for so long that it's it's almost hard for me to like just enjoy music anymore. Like I, I sometimes feel like um like just put on a record and go like oh I am just sitting here like you know like bathing in this emotion. It's 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 I get so dist- almost distracted by what is happening with everything, because um, it's you know it's just like a, my entire life spent listening to those that aspect of of, of a recording. Yeah, um, and it, I feel like sometimes because when I go to eat like a meal or something at like a nice restaurant or something like that, like I just eat it and like if it's lasagna, it's lasagna. You know, there's no I don't I don't have like the whole back catalog of information (laughs) of like oh and then the the salt and then the the milk you know like all these things that you know like a great chef would be like like thinking about when they ate a lasagna to me it's just lasagna so when most people hear i think like a mix or a a song or something like that they just hear the song which is sometimes i just really like sometimes i wish like at the end of a record i could hear the music that we've recorded like you know Maybe my mom would you know <laughs> right. um,
0: I mean is there a particular but, album that comes to mind that is just like a geniusly mixed album to you uh,
1: yeah i mean i mean there's there's, there's like a, a few guys that I just think like are so amazing this this guy chad Blake, it's a t c h a d i mean he's like two like a lot of um guys that kind of work in this you know like kind of part of the field. I mean, his name comes up, and people just like salivate. I mean, he's so incredibly good. Um, just the way he kind of works with tone is so—it's so hard to describe. It's—it's—it's it's, it's just like this. List. He uses like distortion and different things in just ways that like it, like a great chef would, where he just like kind of adds it as like peppering on like different instruments and stuff like that, and like. He'll just use, he uses like um, these old um, things like called fans amps when, when a guitar player um, wouldn't have a, um, you know, an amp, you know, like this is like kind of outdated technology at this point. But like, you know, way back at, you know, late 80s, early 90s or whatever, they didn't have an amp and they wanted to play at home. They'd have this fans amp. And so they'd plug into this and it would kind of give them the distortion. And he kind of found one of these and, and you know, didn't, I don't I think he rarely even uses it on a guitar, but like he started using it on drums and stuff like that. And, um, and the way that he kind of like builds it into the tone and just adds these crusts and different things to it. It just, it's so um, incredible. Like I just, I hear one of his recordings and sometimes I'll put in, like when I'm mixing something, I'll put in things as references. And like a lot of times I'll, like I won't, I won't even be thinking about what I'm putting in and then i I'll have like maybe five or six tracks and they're just like to AB between when I'm working. And, and every time I'm like, Oh my God, it's it's like, it's like, it's Chad Blake. Like, it, you know, sometimes every track in there is mixed by Chad Blake. I'm like, how? I didn't even do that on purpose. Um, and then there's, um, this guy, Spike Stent, who's really amazing, like a cl- classic mixer who did a lot of the Bjork stuff. And, um, he did like a lot of like Beyonce and stuff and things like that. But, um, he did this massive attack record. Um, he makes that song teardrop. And I just, I still put that in on. I think like, like such an incredible mix. It's like insane sounding. Yeah. The level of detail is just, it sounds so cool. Um, and then, um, there's another guy named Tom Elmhurst who does a lot of like the, um, like Adele and Amy Winehouse stuff like that. And kind of like the, like, I mean, the Amy Winehouse thing is like a, a good example of like the vintage thing that kind of feels modern. And I me- I remember hearing maybe that for the first time, but I was just walking through like a Barnes and Noble or something. It was like, I think the first time I heard Amy Winehouse and I just like, I was like, what is this? Like, cause it, it was uh, so shocking at that point to hear. Cause it, it just sounded like so com- like completely perfectly retro, which had, had a, I mean, a lot to do also with the way, I mean, the dap tones and the way they recorded it. And then, the kind of way that Mark Ronson had modernized it and then uh, finally the way this guy Tom Elmhurst had kind of like somehow like put all these elements together and just it was such a cool combination. I think that really
0: inspired me. Just to circle back when you were talking about Chad Blake, I know for Mm -hmm. me the record I always associate with him is Kiko, the Los Lobos record from 92, which is a great record. If you haven't heard that out there, you should check that out. I know he did Bone Machine too with Tom Waits. Uh, which yeah it's is so a really good. like uh, and, very dynamic sounding record kind of harsh but also beautiful at the same time
1: one of my favorite sounding records that he did was a, a Latin Playboys record um that that the first Latin Playboys record is one of the most like bizarre sounding like coolest recordings i've ever heard i mean one night i was just walking around um i was in new york and i and i was listening to that record and and, and it's quite old now but i mean you put it on and it's it just sounds so like it's it's kind of like it's like definitely like lo-fi in places, but but never lo-fi. It's like also hi-fi, and it just sounds so futuristic. Now even today, you're just like, oh my god! Like this is the coolest sounding music. I can't believe how cool this sounds. <laughs> and and he also did the the Black Keys, um, uh, some of the Black Keys stuff. He did the record Brothers, and I think that. Um, That sounds amazing. That record, I think it sounds insanely good. And I feel Um, like that was. I think, think and that seems like an
0: influential record too. I feel like a lot of people heard that. It's weird because I feel like bands heard that, and also like a lot of marketers heard that record. And like, it's like if we can't get a Black Key song, we're gonna like. That almost became like the default rock jingle sound. Right after that record came out, so it was like very influential sounding record in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, because I mean, the thing is, is that a lot of like.
0: Rock records.
1: There's like a thing that it drives me kind of crazy that people, people, I think, have an idea of what they think a rock record's supposed to sound like, and it's this kind of like clicky kick drum and like this just very almost clean sounding drum set, and and it's I don't even know how to describe it, but it's just like if you hear like kind of most records that come out on a kind of rock radio, it just sounds to me like, um, it doesn't sound like exciting. Like, it sounds like the way that it was like a lot of people that kind of came up in maybe like a kind of recording school and they were like taught how to record like a a rock record. It was like a classic way. And I think that like, it's, it's, done over and over and over again and and I think it's just like a, it's like a very kind of like conservative way of presenting a band like here's here's a drummer and here's a bass player and here's a guitar player and here's a guitar player and it, and it's just it, and it's very clean sounding and people can digest it and they, and they and they're like oh that sounds like a modern rock record or something like that and <laughs> right. to me I just I can't like I, I I would never want to make a a record that sounded like that to me like Chad Blake is such an amazing mixer cuz Black Keys are like a modern rock band, you know, they're a huge modern rock band, and their records do not sound like that. Like, they are super, like, interesting sounding in the way that they are produced and mixed. Um, and And I think that that's, like, that's really important for, like, the survival, I think, of of rock music that, cause if you listen to rock records from, you know, like the Beatles or Led Zeppelin or anything like that, those are weird sounding records, you know, like they're really weird, sometimes smaller than you think. And, um, and like, if you just a B them between like modern records, like you hear how quirky they are and like how abstract they are. And like, you know, at, at the time when those records were coming out, these people were like inventing, um, these like, Techniques that 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 would eventually become photocopied and photocopied and photocopied <laughs> to like now how it presented with what the sound of a, of a modern record is. Right. And I think those old recordings are so interesting and so weird. And I mean, I, I think that like if if like somehow if we can get more of that into like more of that kind of experimentation with tone and stuff into um, modern records, I think that 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 would be. In really important to the survival of rock music.
0: Well, Um, and what you're talking about,
1: you hear stuff like, you know, a new hip hop record or something like that. And it's just crazy. Like they're just like, because it's that, that genre is, um, it's new and it feels fresh and it feels alive. And it feels like you can do things that are so wildly experimental and just completely out. And like, and everyone, um, is excited about it and, that like, it can be a number one record and be completely insane. Right. And I think that that's the way rock music used to be, but now it's kind of become solidified as to, like, what rock music is and, and people become fearful or scared of doing something that, like, leaves the comfort zone of the genre
0: well and it's just like a failure of imagination from what you know again i think about sound and color and i think when i listen to that record i it makes me think like oh this is like if outcasts were a 70s hard rock band or if like Led zeppelin <laughs> had recorded at muscle shoals you know it's like it's taking these different things that you maybe on paper don't think belong together and yet sonically you find the sweet spots where it, you know, these different influences totally enhance each other, and it becomes this rich, full-bodied sounding recording.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean that, that that. Also, I mean, when we were making that, we were like, I think all a little bit um, fearful of like, not fearful. I mean, that's the wrong word. Um, but like, kind of tentative, like what are we doing <laughs> like, um hopefully like uh the, anyone will like this record i mean i was i was like i was a little bit scared like sometimes like or, like how far are we pushing this you know like um but uh um but i mean i i was excited that when it came out and, and it wasn't like um completely panned <laughs> you know cuz i was thinking like it's some the first song that we recorded was this song called Gemini just kind of further late later on the record and it's it's a really abstract song and um you know her voice has like this like weird like pitch shifter on it and it's like there's a lot of space and, and like emptiness in the recording and this crazy laser guitar comes in and stuff like that and it was the first thing we recorded and i was like oh, this record is going to be sick hopefully like um, Hopefully, anyone likes
0: it. (laughs) I mean, like, and obviously, I mean, that record was a big success and it was a big success for you personally. I mean, you won the Grammy for that record, very much deserved. After that, you know, did you feel or do you feel now that when people hire you that are they looking for something specific? Do you feel like you have a sound that you're associated with? I mean, we kind of talked about before that hybrid of traditional. Uh, kind of recording techniques, but also having big ears and a lot of imagination and, and not being afraid to also be forward-looking. I mean, that's still um, kind of a vague idea. Do you feel like you have a sound that you're associated with?
1: I, I, I can't totally tell because, uh, I mean, I'm always in here doing it, but um, <laughs> right. I mean, I'm sure that maybe people do hire me based on something, a sound that they're hearing.
0: Because I mean, like, Casey um, Musgraves, for instance, I mean, and you're not the only one who worked on that record, there's a, there's a couple different mixers, uh, you know, in the liner notes for that, but I mean, do you feel like there was an idea of like, well, this, he will maybe give me an indie rock feel here, that's not totally traditional country, I mean, did you feel like you kind of like the indie rock slot on that record in a way?
1: Yeah, I, I maybe, um, I, I guess I feel like they, um,
0: I mean, she uh, she
1: is like such a cool thinker, and Um, so abstract in a way, like, um, especially for, like, you know, what you think of as, like, you know, a a classic kind of country record. It's just like she abstracts things at any chance she can get, like, in her lyrics or anything. So, I mean, the the fact that her and, and, um, her producers, like, thought, like, um, thought that I, that that I, I could, try a mix was pretty, pretty cool. I mean, when I first heard that they they were asking me if I could try it, um, I was like, I was like, are you sure? Like I've never mixed a country record. Um, which I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, is is kind of like, I don't think like if you've been mixing records long enough, I don't think that you have to have, um, done that genre to be able to mix that genre. You know, it's, it's, there's nothing like, there's, no, there's nothing saying that, like, if you haven't done mixed a mixed country record, you don't, you don't know how. But, um, I mean, I'm just not, like, classically known in, like, the country recording community. Um, but I, th- I thought it was, like, just a cool choice that they, they thought of me to do it. And I was, like, super honored and excited to, to be able to work on that. And it was, um, it, yeah, I mean, it was super fun.
0: Well, and, and part of what I love about that record is that it reminds me of, like, a Fleetwood Mac album you know it's totally kind of, yeah it ha- you know like especially like the first four or five songs which just flow so well i mean the whole record i think is great but and then you have like the the sort of like daft punk vocoder touches on yeah. on, on there too just totally kind uh-huh. of pushing it out of that country zone you know one record i have to talk to you about is like one of my probably my what it might be my most listened to album of like the last year or two and that's a deeper understanding the War oh, on sweet. Drugs record and you were talking about how most musicians don't really want to talk about the technical aspect of records and I know Adam enough to know that he's like a huge gearhead a huge geek when it comes to recording technology I was actually just thinking I think the last time I saw him he was talking about how he had just met Bob Clear Mountain and saw the board that Born in the USA was was mixed on right, and it was like a huge deal to him to to uh, see this you know board. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I imagine making that record was a little bit different in that regard because he was a lot more involved in the technical aspects of it.
1: Um, yeah, he um he is like the the probably the biggest um gearhead of anyone I've I've, like ever worked with, really. Um, but um in the he is like such a like a special dude in that like he he doesn't um you know i've met a lot of like sometimes like, i mi- i meet gearheads in like just like the the world and they get so like locked up in like gear that they don't really even at that point even know how to make anything anymore like they just have like this kind of like weird just obsessive like collection of gear and they just don't do anything with it like it's a weird <laughs> this weird like thing that I think happens to people. Um, but he doesn't think like that at all. He, he He's, like, obsessed with gear, but, but he's always thinking about it as, like, how he can use it as, like, a new tool in his cooking. Um, so I think that, like, he just, like, he sees a piece of gear and he just, like, thinks of it as, like, another part of his recipe. Um, and I think that, like, he listens to, like, old records and, like, he kind of, like, you know like parses through the liner notes and and like and digs in and finds all the information about how um something was was made and and like researches that gear um and then like and then he'll get some of that gear and then like that will inspire him you know because it's like a new flavor um and i think that that's such a, a cool aspect of him um that like that you know he gets like excited about the born in the USA console. Cause you know, I mean, that record sounds incredible. Bob Clearmountain is like a, a, like a genius. I mean, that, that talking about guys that, that are inspiring and records that sound amazing. I mean, that he, he has like, like a, an insane catalog of, of, of recordings that it's just like when we, when Adam and I were recording, um, we were constantly talking about Bob Clearmountain and i was i was using his um recordings as references all the time i mean even just like that like the the Roxy Music record Avalon, that he did is just one of my favorite sounding records in history it sounds like so cool and lush and and interesting and just it i i one day when i was i was working with a band i am um, sorry i'm like, going on a tangent i um i was actually in Bob Crane Mountain Studio <laughs> weirdly i was actually working on that that console and he had hanging up in that studio a um, picture of um, the Avalon cover um the Roxy Music and there's yeah. like this kind of like viking person on the front with like a bird and like it's like looking off into like this vast kind of like ocean of clouds and stuff and i was just like like thinking like sonically it, that record sounds exactly like that cover looks like if you were to be like like what does that like visual represents like sonically, I'd I'd give you that picture. And it it kind of inspired me. And and after that, I was, I was working with a band after that. And I was like, could you send me pictures of like what you want this to sound like? And I mean, it sounds like so ridiculous and and kind of art school, but like they were sending me stuff. It, it it actually totally does help. I mean, it's a way of like, kind of like, kind of like consolidating the, the uh, abstract um, and like talking about things in kind of a a different way is like showing a picture of something, and then you can kind of know what vibe people are talking about, and then um, and then working off of that. But yeah, um, you know, yes. Yeah. In any case, Adam <laughs> Adam is a is a major carryhead, yeah. You know? And uh, and uh, that that yeah, it was like a super fun um, record to record because I mean, I mean, for a, a long long stretches of the time when we were making that record, it would just be um, him and I, and, and just you know talking about records and like. And like you know, finding some old piece of gear and and experimenting with it and like you know, and like just kind of getting excited about of uh, like stuff like that. You know, um, and that would kind of you know, it would kind of sometimes it would kind of like even unlock like new sections or something. You know, you'd be like find a piece of gear and then all of a sudden like and a whole other area
0: of a song would suddenly start growing.
1: Yeah. You know, because we we'd found some. You know, tone or something like that.
0: Oh uh, yeah, you know, I, I was just thinking about you were talking about Bob Clearmountain and how amazing "Born in the USA" sounds, and I think it sounds amazing too. But there was a there was a time when people would talk about those '80s Springsteen records, particularly "Born in the USA" and "Tunnel of Love," as being mm-hmm. overproduced, you know, or like even like a record like Avalon being overproduced, right. being very '80s sounding. And then there was a time where taste changed and now you hear a lot of indie records that are emulating those records and certainly the war on drugs being an example of that where you know they take their cues from a lot of music that for a time like was not very fashionable and and people would sort of knock how those records sound and now they sound great it's like people found a different way to listen to them almost as time went on and i was curious about like your your thoughts on that because it, it does seem like you know, produ- different production styles go in and out of fashion, things that were called overproduced maybe in their time. Later on, people re- revisit them and they say, no, that sounds perfect. It You know, it shouldn't have been any different at all. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that happens? Like, wh- where does that shift come from, you think? You, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it might be kind of style and stuff, like the way people, you know, wear their jeans or something, <laughs> you know, like if I was, like, uh, like, you know, see a picture of my family in, like, 1992, you know, if I saw a picture of us in 1992, like, 10 years ago, I would have been, like, oh, my God, this, like, horrifying outfits we're all wearing, you know, and then, I mean, I saw a picture of our family in 1992 a couple days ago, and I was, like, whoa, we look so cool, (laughs) like, (laughs) like, I, I was, like, you know, I was, like, telling my sister, like, what a cool, like, um, your pants are so cool. Like you should, you should wear those. <laughs> um, um, so I don't know. I just I think it's like things that just go in and out of fashion. I mean, maybe when those the the like, for, I wasn't really like cognizant of like reality <laughs> when when Born in the USA came out. Um, like I was just like too young. I mean, I didn't know what was going on. So I mean, to me, I don't hold the same kind of like, um, like kind of the. Those 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 feelings towards those records, that maybe somebody that's older than me would, would would still hold a grudge, like oh, it's overproduced. But I mean, I my ear doesn't hear that the same way because I didn't I wasn't I wasn't around then, um, and and so like I like now what overproduced means is completely different when that than what that sounds like. That sounds doesn't sound overproduced at all in the context of what a overproduced record sounds like now. Um, and, And actually, if you listen to born in the USA, that is like a janky, that is a janky performance. I mean, it's like, it's crazy sounding. I mean, like, if you actually listen to it, it's insane sounding. I mean, you know, people are like wavering, like in and out of not like exacting time. I mean, it's, it's not like gridlocked. I mean, now, if you have an overproduced record, like an overproduced rock record, it's like people can edit drums so that they are mathematically precise within like a, a nanosecond. I mean, it's it's perfect, um, and and that record isn't isn't like that at all. They didn't have didn't have the technology to even do that. Um, it just sounds big, um, you know, because the reverbs and things that they were using. Um, which, I mean, probably made it feel maybe maybe that's what people feel felt overproduced at the time because it just felt big. Still, people, like, you know, you'll be working with people and they have a fear of bigness, you know, like it's too big, you know. It's kind of almost like a, like a thing people are, I, I, you work with a lot of people that are afraid of things being big, um, and I don't know if that's always like a bad thing. Uh, I mean, I like things that sound big and exciting and, and you know, I I, I just I just think that that's fun, you know. When you you want to you go to a concert, you don't want it to feel like gentle and you know like you've been pet. You want it you want it to be like exciting and and adventurous and like crushing, you know. Like I want to like go from the, the lowest part of the mountain to the highest part of the mountain. Um, and and so I mean to me it sounds exciting
0: yeah I agree with that 100% I mean is that just like lingering like punk rock politics like people don't want to be bombastic so
1: yeah yeah I think so I mean yeah I mean but punk rock is kind of bombastic right I mean maybe it might still be coming from like the kind of some subset of like the alternative scene of the 90s you know when people are afraid of everything (laughs) you know like corporate (laughs) records and stuff like that and and I don't know. I think that that was just like a backlash towards like, maybe like, you know, guns and roses or something like that. But like, it's still, it's still lingering in, in many ways. And, and I think that maybe sometimes, sometimes I think that like, maybe what gets me jobs is that like, I, I'm not like fearful of making things like explosive and, and big sounding. And I think that maybe like, maybe that's what people are hearing. Um, I mean, certainly like with Adam, he doesn't. He's not afraid of something sounding big. I mean, the whole time he's like bigger, bigger. You know? <laughs> like he wants it to be a big sounding record, not cheesy, but like big. You know, like present yourself in an exciting way. And um, I mean, he's not afraid of that. And I think that that's fun. And it's fun working with him because you know we're listening to these old records, and they, they, you know they're going for it. I mean, Bruce Springsteen was going for it. He wanted to like do something and be exciting. And, and I think that. And I. And I like doing that. I think that that's fun. I mean, I don't want to, like, do some, you know, some something boring. <laughs> yeah, right.
0: I, I was just thinking about that War on Drugs record when the big guitar solo comes in at the end of Strangest Thing. I remember the mm-hmm. first time I heard that and I was like, this song should have been an Armageddon when they blew up the asteroid. You know, like this <laughs> yeah. guitar solo, it just feels like, yeah, Ben Affleck should be kissing Liv Tyler. And, you know, this is such a triumphant moment. Like, I love at that moment. Still gives me chills when I hear that that guitar. Oh, sound like, I love the yeah, I mean, bigness of that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I lo- I love doing stuff like that. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, like that we, we we recorded that song for <laughs> forever, just like continually overdubbing more guitars and trying, you know, trying things, just trying like in an effort to make it like as emotional and big as it could possibly get there. You know, because I mean, I'm I'm not saying like things should always be big. I mean, sometimes like a record doesn't call for it. It's like a you know a thoughtful introspective record where it's just small, and even at that even when you're making that kind of record, i don't think it should be boring. it should at least be um exciting sounding you know yeah I mean I was just um doing an acoustic record it's a, it's like a record of just a, an acoustic guitar and a voice and i mean we went out of our way to like make sure it didn't sound like a if you think of an acoustic guitar record at this point, you just you just want to jump off a cliff because that just sounds like a nightmare. Like, nobody wants to listen to an acoustic guitar and a vocal record. I mean, it just sounds so boring. I mean, there's nothing more of a nightmare in my mind than sitting in a, in a coffee shop listening to somebody playing an acoustic guitar and, and like, singing. <laughs> I, just, I mean, unless it was, like, the best songs ever, but, like, generally that brings up so many images of bad things in my mind. Right. So like, um, I mean, we went, you know, out of our way to make it sound exciting and, and like, like some, some kind of new take on that as opposed to just being, the, you know, a mic and a mic and, you know, and this kind of like this antiseptic, you know, thing.
0: Well, I mean, cause I feel, I'm trying to think of good examples of that. I think of like the early Elliott Smith records having that and the atmosphere comes cause you can hear the room that he's in and you feel like you're in the room with him and you can feel, you can hear him like changing his fingers on the strings and him breathing. And that's where a lot of the atmosphere comes from, even though I, I mean, I I don't know. I think he recorded that in a bedroom. I mean, there's really no production being done. Um, how else do you liven up a guitar and voice record?
1: Well, I mean, a lot of it is the, is the atmosphere of like where it's being, where it's being presented. I mean, like, like, you can you, you can do a lot with like room mics and stuff like and this and the record I'm talking about doesn't even there's actually no reverb there's no reverb and there's no like delays or anything like that there's no like artificial effects to like kind of you know like the, the kind of classic way of just you know making something kind of weird um, it was just kind of uh, I I was trying stuff with like you know room mics and and um, different perspectives I was thinking of it trying to think of it as like like in like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie, like Magnolia or something like that, when it's like kind of different, like vignettes of different characters and you're like, you know, um, it's just shot like from cool angles and different perspectives and different colors. So like every song you can kind of like change where the angle is of of the guitar and like, like kind of try to like, think of it as like a cinematographer or something like where, where, what vantage point are we looking at it at from, you know? And like, like what room is this in and like you know all these different kind of aspects um that kind of just kind of make it feel more exciting and 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 you can uh, there's these things called um contact mics um they're kind of fun to play with but it's like you know if generally like you if you're recording an acoustic guitar you you can you could put up like a I mean this is not true cuz I'll I'll explain why but like you could put up an acoustic guitar like a mic and record it like very normal. And a lot of people have um, like a DI in their acoustic guitar, which it basically just takes a, it's like the way you plug in an electric guitar. It just takes the um, signal right out of the acoustic. Um, um, and that sounds usually terrible. And, but you can use these things called contact mics, which basically it's a microphone that you can just like press against something. Like it's, it's, not, it's not like sitting a foot back. It's like a microphone that's actually, you're you're putting it on the instrument and then you're taping it down. Um, and so it, what it does is like you're pressing your ear into the instrument. Hmm. And you can come up with like really kind of interesting, like weird tones by like, just like what, what would it sound like if your ear was literally pressed against the guitar? It's like a different sound than, than what you're accustomed to hearing. Wow. And you can experiment with that like with a combination of microphones and stuff. So just like different, you know, colors to make something feel exciting.
0: Can I ask like who that is, who, who you're making that with?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, uh, it's uh, uh, Jim James.
0: Oh, right on. Okay. I, he was just on the podcast recently. Oh, cool. Oh, that's and, awesome. and so he, that's really cool because he just did like a really loud guitar record. And now it sounds like he's going in the opposite direction. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Um, Sean, I am so glad that we were able to talk. I'm so glad you emailed me and that we could talk about record production. Oh, this is really man, interesting.
1: Well, I've been such a fan of your writing and podcast for such a long time. I uh, just uh, wanted to tell you how much I liked it.
0: Well, it's a mutual appreciation society. We're just giving <laughs> each other hugs over the phone here, man. Uh, right, thanks. Hey, Sean, thanks again, man. It's, uh, it was a pleasure. And, we'll, and I'd love to have you back on sometime.
1: Awesome. So nice talking to you.
0: All right, man. All right, well, take thanks, care.
1: Thanks, man. Okay, see
0: you. All right, that was me and Sean. Talking about record production, very nice guy, very smart guy. I'm excited to hear that Jim James record. I I don't know if that's news that we have broken here on the Celebration Rock podcast, that Jim James of My Morning Jacket's working on a solo record, apparently, where it's just him playing away on acoustic guitar. But I'm excited to hear that, and uh, hopefully that'll be coming out soon. Got to give a shout-out to Derek Madden, the man who makes everything happen, puts it all together. Thank you, Derek got to give a shout out to Josh Copperman, who wrote our theme song. Thank you, Josh. And of course, thank you, all of you out there who are fans of the show, who listen to the show. We wouldn't have a show without you, and I mean that. Thanks for spreading the word about us, telling your friends, talking about us on social media, leaving nice reviews and comments on iTunes. And uh, we'd, we'd love for you to subscribe if you're not doing. Yes, that. please subscribe. Help our numbers, man. We do pretty good, but we could do better. And when you subscribe, it helps our numbers on the old iTunes chart. So please do that if you are so inclined. Uh, Thanks again, guys, for listening to this week's episode. We will be back next week with more Celebration Rock. Take care. On the Westwood One Podcast
1: Network.